Hey, good morning. I've been watching the Olympics, have you? <laughs> They're inescapable and enjoying it. But I'm also enjoying the Proverbs in our series, my favorite Proverbs. Today we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 10, looking at verses 10 through 14. Verses 10 through 14 are five Proverbs, five Proverbs that treat the subject of right and wrong use of speech. Maybe that's a little extreme, right and wrong, but... Good use, bad use, how about that? The best use and the worst use of speech. Obviously, everything that we would want is not covered there, but what is interesting is that not only do we have some pro tips or pieces of expert advice here from which we can gather lots of insights into how we can be better users of our tongues, but most of all, I want us to see that in these verses we have positive and negative communication from different characters. For example, they're called the troublemaker, the fool, the righteous, the wicked, the discerning, the wise. You see, it will help us to understand the significance of what is being talked about in these verses, in these five Proverbs, and other Proverbs on the subject, if we understand that speech, communication, the words that we use, all of those things are connected to our character. Character. There's always a connection to who the person is and the nature of their speech, their communication, and their use of words. Character is judged by our words as well, and we evaluate the character of others in that way. So with that in mind, let's read Proverbs chapter 10, verses 10 through 14, and I think you'll see something of what I mean. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense or judgment. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. If you open your Bible, the first words we read are, in the beginning. And the first word God speaks is, let there be light. 
In fact, the words read, he said, let there be light. In the Gospel of John, he starts his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Speech, communication, when God speaks, it's significant. And it is telling, by the way. Remember this. When God speaks, it's not darkness, it's light. That's the kind of God we have. But it's important to realize that whether speech or our words are divine or human, words have power. Words have power. In fact, in those two expressions of God's use of speech or words, we're talking about creation and salvation. Very positive things. But it makes a difference who the author is. God's authorship of words is different than ours. But nonetheless, it reminds us that words, divine or human, have power to harm or to heal. When I was a child, sometimes I would come home in tears. And my mom would comfort me because my feelings were hurt. Enough to make me cry. And when she would ask me, what's wrong? Sometimes it was a scrape, but so many times it was a misunderstanding or something that had been said. There was nothing visibly wrong. There was no hurt on the outside of my body. It was an inside hurt. And mom would say, sweetheart, remember, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Well, as I grew up, although that was comforting when I was young, and it provided some kind of a defense, as I've grown up, I've come to realize that words do hurt. They do, so to speak, break things within us that are as hard, you would think, to break as bones. But things stick with us. In fact, there may be a word from yesterday or this morning or even last week that has haunted you because some of those words that are painful and harmful, they just don't go away. We carry them with us even while we're smiling or attending to other things. An ill-timed, a malicious word, the hurt can go very deep. James chapter 3, verses 5 through 12, James tells us the tongue is an unruly evil. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 said, we will give an account for every careless word. Yeah, I've got a stack of them. But when Jesus says something like that, all of a sudden it reminds you of just how powerful words are. Why 
Are careless words so important? Why are words so powerful? Well, Jesus also gives us the answer to that. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says words are a window to the heart. Whether it's a window on the heart, a window of the heart, a window to the heart, we can see the heart as if we were looking through a window by the words that we use or that others use. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, and 35, how can you say anything good? He's actually talking to somebody, and he says to that person, how can you say anything good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He goes on. He says the good person, out of his treasure of good brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his treasure of evil, brings forth evil. And just a little later on in that gospel, in Matthew 15, verse 18, Jesus says the tongue, says what comes out of the mouth comes forth from the heart. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 20 says, The tongue of the righteous is weighed against the heart of the wicked. You see, words can tell us a lot about a person's heart because those words are fueled by the heart. There's a pipeline between your lips and the heart. And if you take any of this seriously, and it's very biblical, it will change the way we use words, think about words, weigh our own words, listen to words. And we'll realize once again, as we hear again and again in the book of Proverbs, we need to get wisdom. We need to get wisdom. Our words are a window to our heart. Now, this should encourage us because the wise know the impact of words. The wise know the truth of words. The wise know the wisest of words. But we, you may say, we aren't so wise or as wise as we would like to be or as wise as we think we should be with such a lethal weapon at our fingertips as the tongue or our use of words or our heart, if you will. But I want to encourage you sincerely because I think right-hearted people automatically use words in a better way than wrong-hearted people. Does that make sense? Right-hearted people don't have quite the arsenal of mean things to say. Their, their heart's in the right way. Another way of putting this in really specific terms for ourselves, we are New Testament people. We are living on this side of the resurrection. In fact, you have a resurrected heart if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You don't have an ordinary heart. You have a resurrected heart. 
You have a heart that has been changed by the new life of Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit has been poured out on your life. And you're either ignoring Jesus Christ to your own peril or you're listening to him. And as long as you're listening to him, as long as you're following him, as long as you're trusting in him, he's going to be changing your life. He's going to be making you wiser and wiser and wiser. It's inescapable. Does that make sense? Is there a ring of truth to that? I think there is. I mean, during the day, if I'm thinking about Jesus, I'm not thinking about evil. If I'm thinking about Jesus, I'm thinking in a wholehearted, large-minded sort of way when I think about the world and people around me. It changes the way I react to people. It changes the way I see problems. It changes everything. Now, if you've got that going for you and you apply that to the use of words, if you realize that something you thought was just a household tool was actually an atomic weapon, you'd handle it more carefully. You'd read the instruction book. Well, book of Proverbs is telling us something about the words that we may use carelessly that Jesus said, ah, ah, ah. I take note of those words, and we need to too. But I want to encourage you. You put your mind on Christ. You walk your life by faith. You let the Spirit empower you, give you the strength to do the right thing. And by the way, that even increases. I mean, if you've been a Christian three weeks, that's different than if you've been a Christian three months or five years or ten years Things that you thought were pretty dramatic, you take for granted now because it's become a part of your character to be kinder, to be more thoughtful, to be less a fool and be more wise. Naturally, in Jesus, I think we'll communicate God's goodness in our words and speech. But I do think we will be benefited if we understand the impact of words, the truth of words, and if we understand the wisest of words. Let's consider the impact of words. Impact, like when you get punched, or as you age, you know, I went bike riding on Friday. We rode about 12 miles. It was 104 or 5 at the time. And uh, when I got in, of course, you sweat a lot, but you finally cool down. Um, but the next day, I felt wrung out. I felt like I, you know, was just a little bit still parched. That's like the impact of something the ramifications of something. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about words. They have an impact. There's collateral damage that we may not be aware of. And what I want us to appreciate, we haven't talked about what a fool is, but one thing about a fool, a fool is self-absorbed. A fool is self-centered. A fool cares primarily about 
himself or herself and nobody else. We can talk about that a little bit more, but that really does affect the way we use words because in my experience, a fool doesn't care how he uses words. He uses words to get his way, to get ahead, to make you believe him, to make you leave him alone, to make you forgive him, not hold him accountable. In other words, words are at the service of one's own pride and ego. So words really don't matter, except as they serve you. And in the same sense, then, Words can have an impact on others, but as long as it doesn't hurt us, the fool doesn't matter. It doesn't mind. Our words, speech, our communication, not only mirror our heart, but as we saw in Proverbs chapter 6 a few weeks ago when Pastor Tim spoke on verses 16 through 19 of chapter 6, God hates certain things. And of the seven things he hates, five of them have to do with the heart and with communication or our speech. That's pretty significant. Words are not a minor part of our lives When we think of the impact of words, we see it immediately in verse 10. And here we have nonverbal and verbal communication pictured in line 1 and line 2 of this proverb. In the first line of, of verse 10, it says, our eyes, our eyes have an impact. Have you ever thought about that? What do eyes do? Well, for us, we see I can see you, you can see me. Hope I look okay. But our eyes communicate things to other people. Have you ever been talking to somebody and they're not looking you in the eye? They're looking over there or over your shoulder and you're saying something that's really important and it's like, what does that tell you? What does that tell you when somebody does that to you? Do you like it? Well, I can tell you, I don't like it. That tells me that he's not listening to me. That he doesn't care about what I'm saying. That's what we call nonverbal communication. Nonverbal communication is when you and I send messages without words. We send messages with our eyes. We can be glancing. Yeah, sure. I'm interested. We can be glancing. How about you say something and I go, oh, brother. You know, big eye roll. That's nonverbal communication. What does that tell you? Oh, you're unbelievable. I can hardly bear what you're saying. You bore me to death. Something like that. And there's all kinds of, the word doesn't mean just winking. It, it, it means to have something like pinched or squeezed or shrunk. So it could be like you're talking to somebody and then they, they kind of squint. Like, really? So this is nonverbal communication. And when we're not aware of it, sometimes what's in our heart is conveyed through our eyes. You see what I'm saying? It's not the words we're using, but it is what's in our heart. And it shows up 
in our eyes. And when it does, the proverb is saying it sends a message of harm. It hurts. It causes trouble. See? Because heart is not matched to heart. In the second line, it talks about the fool. It says babbling fool. Well, you know what babbling is, right? It's just chatter that doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe it's because we aren't listening that it becomes chatter. Maybe it's chatter because the person speaking doesn't really care whether you're listening or not. They just like the sound of their own voice, which is certainly true of a foolish speaker. But the word here is foolish lips, the lips of a fool. And as I said, when you're talking about somebody who is self-absorbed and self-centered, that means their language, you really can't take it to the bank. You can't trust it. You can't depend on it because fools are only interested in themselves. Now, if you're following me, you understand what this means. The person who is a fool, or as the ESV says, uh, babbling fool, they end in ruin. And when you're, when you're a person who's self-absorbed, all that you care about is whether you feel good, whether life is pleasurable to you or not. You'll say whatever you say because you want that other person that you're talking to to like you, to accept you, to make you a friend. In other words, what comes out of your mouth is always in the service of making life better for you. But you see, that's not language that you can trust. That's not language of a person who's going to stick by you, be loyal to you, or even stand behind their words. You might question, I heard you say that. Oh, no, I couldn't have said that. That's a fool. And you can see why those kinds of words face judgment We know the sting and harm of words. A fool doesn't get the golden rule. What's the essence of a golden rule? Do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Or as you would have them do unto you. So it's very important that if we know the pain of a mean or cruel word, that we understand that we have that same power and we pay attention to the way we use language. How about gossip? Immaturity, jealousy, envy, insecurity are often behind gossip. There's a malicious element to gossip. You want to hurt somebody else or you want to make them look bad. That's why you're gossiping. If you make them look bad, then that makes you look better. Gossip is Harmful, hurtful, powerful words in marriage. Clinically, somebody clinically can, in, in marriage counseling, if, and this has been proven through studies, but they can tell you if a marriage is going to make it or not based on the words that the couple uses. When that changes, I mean, that changes a relationship. 
Somebody that you really, it doesn't have to be a man and a woman in marriage. It could be two partners in business that came out of school together. Or two buddies on the field in some, in some sport. Two ladies in soccer. But where there's a relationship, that relationship is built. How do you think it's built? It's built by kind words. And it's built by something we don't always think about. We believe those words and the heart behind those words. But in a relationship, when those words start to change, when they become cruel, that reflects the division between two hearts. And it destroys the relationship. That's what's involved here. If you're ever in a situation where you, you are hurt by someone else, take a look and think about your own words in that situation. Words are always the cause. Words bear meaning. And words are a reflection or a mirror or a window that expresses the reality of your heart and who you are. Consider not only the impact of words, but the truth of words in verses 11 and 12. Their great power, that's the truth. If you really get the truth of words, you'll realize how powerful they are. A fool doesn't get that. As I said, words don't matter to a fool. But they do have power more than we realize. In verse 11, the first part and the second part both play on the word mouth. In most of your translations, if not all of them, the word mouth occurs. But it is a play on words because the word mouth can be used of the mouth of a well or the mouth of a container or the mouth of a river or something else. So here we have a mouth that is a source of life. See, the mouth of a wise person is a source of their heart, and that produces life, produces kindness, goodness, constructive words, words that encourage, uplift, bless. This is contrasted with the mouth of an evil person, and this mouth is not a source or an opening, it's a cover. It's a way of concealing what's really underneath, what really belongs to the heart. And that which really belongs to the heart is violence. Violence, that sounds like physical pain, but people do violence with words. They do it with cunning. They can deceive there are many ways violence is communicated and sometimes by people who are very mild-mannered because that's the most effective and the most painful. You just don't see it coming. A beautiful thing in verse 12 is that hatred as opposed to love and love as opposed to hatred, harm as opposed to healing, our motives that drive our words. Words of hate, we're told here, stir up, make things worse. But words of love 
mollify, make softer, cover, and calm. This expression from this exact verse is used by Peter, James, and Paul. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. John at the end of 1 John. Peter, 1 Peter 4.8. There's a powerful expression here. If you have love in your heart, and we should because of Christ, we have a desire to make things right, to help, to make things better. We overlook little mistakes, little flaws. When I was in, when I was in junior high and high school, maybe this was true for you, I don't know. It might have just been my experience. Maybe it was just me. But I remember during those times, if you made a little mistake, it was kind of like people took pleasure in pointing it out. They wanted to draw attention to your, well, you idiot, look what you did. But we as believers in Christ, we want to smooth and help and fix those things. These are the powerful powerful things of words and the wisest of words in chapter 13 and uh, verse 13 and 14 I would say the wisest of words are words that are accurate and pay attention to the timing so accuracy and timing just give you a little tip Uh, this is a personal one some years ago I wanted I wanted to get a handle on my anger and I, as I studied more about anger in our lives, because God, it's a God-given emotion. It's not anger in itself that goes wrong. It's when we misuse that emotion. But oftentimes, how we use that emotion or channel that emotion has to do with the way we think about it and the way we think. And so I realized that if I wanted to improve my emotional use of anger, then I had to curb my thinking. I had to become more accurate, see things more truly, and not embellish or exaggerate. To look at it a different way, a lot of people exaggerate when they talk to themselves. They do. I used to. When I had my feelings hurt, here's how I would talk to myself. Everybody hates me. Wow, I'd be depressed too if everybody hated me. You poor thing, it's worse than you thought. Nobody likes me. Oh my goodness, nobody. That means not even one. Is that true? Both of those exaggerations are false. But we use exaggerations to comfort ourselves, but in the process, we swallow a lie. And we get in the business of exaggerating and saying things that are out of proportion. When you do that with a spouse, your husband or your wife, when you do that with friends, when you do it when it matters... It's a form of untruth. So become more accurate in your description and the words you use. And it will benefit you emotionally. And it will benefit you socially. 
in the way you talk to others. And the second part of that is the timing of it. Do it at the right time, at the optimal time. That's what it means in 14 when it says the wise lay up knowledge. It means because they get something, they don't just uh, put it on display whenever they get it or have it. They use it at the right time. And that's how we engage in the wisest of words. It says in chapter 15, 28 of Proverbs, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. That's foresight. Do you ever think about what your words do? If we were to ponder our choices, our thoughts, our words, what are the ramifications? What are the outcomes? The more we think about the implications, the consequences of what we say and the decisions we make, the more we think about that and understand it, it will shape the way we use our words. And it will not only benefit us, but we will use the power of our heart for good and to benefit others. One of the most important words in all of language is the word forgive. To forgive. We'll always make mistakes with the words we use. It's inescapable. But it shouldn't be an excuse. And we who are wise or are getting wiser, we will continue to work on that. And it'll happen because we're walking with Jesus. But we'll also come to appreciate more and more, not only because of Jesus, but because of the consequences for ourselves, of, for, of forgiveness, that God's love covers our mistakes and makes us people of kindness and second chances and goodness. And that not only changes our heart, but changes our words. It's amazing to think that God was saying these things to us when Jesus talked to his disciples at that last supper that they shared. When Jesus associated what was taking place in his life and his death with the bread. And then with the cup, what God was going to do through Jesus Christ to bring new life to us. A blood sacrifice is represented in the wine or the cup. And a new covenant, which usually was sealed by a blood sacrifice. A new covenant is inspired by the wine. I said wine, it should have been bread and wine. So as we prepare and think about what God has communicated to us in Jesus, let it begin with the forgiveness that is always the changing point for the use of our, of our powerful tongues to bring glory and goodness and blessing not only to the name of God, but to others. Let me pray And then we'll observe the bread and the cup. 
And after we've observed the bread and the cup, I want you to know that we'll be singing a closing song. And during that song, I, other pastoral staff, deacons and elders will be up front if any of you want to pray with us about concerns or matters on your heart. So I want you to be aware of that opportunity. Let me pray for us as we prepare our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you for your, for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the bread that represents his life offered for us, sacrificed for us. To put a high, high value on who we are. And thank you, Father, for the cup which represents what has been transacted in the cross and his resurrection, a new covenant with you, a new relationship with you. Help us to fathom these words, to take them to heart from your heart to ours, that we might live more victoriously in the power of the Spirit through the work of Jesus, your Son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had blessed, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. same way after supper the cup also saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood all of you drink it as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now will you stand as we close in a, in a song?